Welcome to Clarity to Launch, the podcast. I'm your host, Natanya Bravo, founder of the Bravo Life, business and mindset coach, and a woman on a mission to help you acknowledge that internal whisper and gain the clarity you need to launch a life you truly love. Years ago, I followed my own whisper and took a leap of faith, leaving behind a six-figure salary and everything I knew to fulfill a one-day dream of moving to Paris. That one tough decision led me to creating a seven-figure business, marrying the love of my life, and helping thousands of women use their passions to uncover their purpose and create the income and impact they were born to. It all boiled down to one decision. Was I going to keep telling myself one day or make today day one? Now it's your turn to decide. Clarity to Launch is here to give you the tools you need to guide you along the way. All you have to do is decide. So are you ready? It's time to launch the life you were born to live. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Gol Kan. Gol is an international best-selling author, international speaker, podcaster, an attorney, and an intuitive life coach and EFT expert, as well as a money mindset expert. And in today's conversation, we not only talk about money and our money stories and what does it mean to shift our perspective as money, but also Gol's incredible story of overcoming two abusive marriages while raising two children, overcoming her own blocks and limitations on what she felt was possible for herself. And I'm really excited for you to hear a story that doesn't just show you, oh, I built this business and I became a millionaire and that was it. My life was great. But shows you what happens after when everything goes away, when everything that was working stops working, What do you do in those moments? So I really want you to listen in and hear a non-traditional story of success and understanding that it's never too late to change our reality. Hi, Gull. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I recently had the pleasure of joining your podcast, which everyone has to check out, but I'm so excited to have you on today and chat with our audience. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I can't remember how, I think we were both in a Facebook group together. And I remember seeing you wrote something about the work that you do. And I was like, wow, like I looked up your website, looked up your Instagram. And for everyone listening, you know that I'm very big on money mindset and shifting our money beliefs and our money stories. And I see that you are all about that. I am curious, can you tell us a little bit about how you, I know you have a background in law. So how did you go from very like strategic and, you know, what attorneys typically are known to be very like by the book to the work that you do now as an intuitive life coach and energy healer and working with money mindset? Well, <laughs> what a lovely question. So thank you for, for having me here for the first initially. Um, I'm so excited to be here. And this is, uh, I'll try and give you the succinct answer. It's a long answer. Um, how did I end up being here? Um, I think I was meant to be here. I think I was meant to do the work I'm doing at the moment. Mm. So I, I grew up in East London. I grew up in the, I think you call it the slums. You know, I call mm. it, you know, it was it, it was a council estate, uh, yeah. really went down council estate in East London. So if anybody knows anything about London, right? Yeah. Yeah, East London is known for it, especially you know, in the in the late 80s and early 90s mm. and so forth. So um, I grew up in that kind of environment. I, I, I had various stories of rich rags to riches, riches to rags and all of that. My father was very, very rich. My, my father remarried. My mother left my father, took me and my brother. We went from in, instantly went from being 
extremely wealthy, having chauffeurs and maids and all of that, to literally, um, so silver spoon in our mouth, mouth, to having nothing. And my father pulled, did the financial card, he gave my mother nothing, exactly that nothing. And he was true to his form that when he passed away, he still left me and my brother nothing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he passed away in 2020 and uh, my brother and I got absolutely zero. Anyway, um, moving on. So we we grew up, in, I grew up in that environment where my brother went one way. He couldn't actually adjust to the idea we had no money. Mm. I went the other way and I became studious. Now, I'm, I mentioned this before because I didn't have a choice not to be studious. I didn't have a choice not to do well because my brother was doing exceptionally badly. Like he was doing everything wrong. And I saw my mother struggling and stressing about him that I went, I was like, I had to go the opposite way. Yeah. I mentioned this because I worked exceptionally hard and that's where my work ethic comes from. But, uh, and the reason why I, I did work that hard because I had to get grades and I did eventually, I didn't get initially um, up to the age of 11, I couldn't even read properly, but I just thought that's because we moved around and whatever. I don't, I never really paid attention to it. It could be something more. Anyway, I worked exceptionally hard and in later years, especially when I did my GCSEs and A-levels and then degree, I became the top student. But when I was, when I was 11, I couldn't even read. I found out afterwards, the reason why I worked so hard and I had to work so hard was because I'm dyslexic. I'm severely dyslexic. Now, why do I mention this? Because as I keep saying, I, everything that happened to me led me down the path, which ended up making me come to where I am right now. So when I, I, I was assessed to be severely dyslexic on the, in the end of my first year of law degree, which it was in Queen Mary uh, University of London, one of the top universities of the world. And uh, I, by then I had really good grades in sciences and others, but it's, it's been writing comes along, which I took, I just <laughs> decided to go into law, uh, which on the face of it, I had all the skills and it made sense for me to go into law because I had all the skills required. You know, I was very articulate and, and analytically minded and I did a double A level math. So I, I was logically minded, everything made sense. When I, um, it's when I realized I was dyslexic, I went on a, another trajectory, I went on a, another pathway, which was to discover who I am and how did I do well? Because by all standards, because I'm severely dyslexic, even the assessor was shocked to see how are you where you are and how did you get your grades up until now? It, 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 just, it was just blew him away. And, and if I give you a bit of an example, the average reading ability for, for people, I don't know what they is now, but at that time, the, the average reading ability was around 105 points. I don't know what the, the point system is. Mine was 95. Mm. I was well below average. I mean, I, I have to say, another part, it was way before uh, it was 130, 140, but it doesn't matter. But where it was really important, academically, I was well below average. I wasn't even average. And I was doing a law degree in yeah. one of the top universities of the world. So he, he, it just, it made me think, okay, why did I get this? And how did I get it? And why... The idea of not getting here was never in my mind, right? Failure was never an option. So I, I went on trajectory. Now, I I say the universe does miraculously. I I went looking for a book by Tony Buzan for mind maps. Ended up finding a, a book by Tony Robbins on <laughs> on unlimited wealth or whatever it was. I think awaken the giant within. So. It, the universe guided me throughout yeah. and then that as I studied I also studied person development and I became a person development junkie long story short I I became a self-made millionaire at the age of 27 I set the target for, for 30 I became at 27 and I after that I did you know I obviously had to have some drama in my life of course how can you not have drama <laughs> so I I married I was I had an arranged marriage yeah but proper arrangement, not just, you know, because my father chose someone and I got to know him. No, 
I met him like twice before and I spoke to him about five times on the phone before I was actually married off to this guy. Whoa. Proper arranged marriage. Um, and I, I was married off to this person who on paper looked really good with me. He was also a lawyer. He, he had studied at LSC and everything else. But he, and, you know, looks wise, okay, maybe not so much, but it, at least on paper, academically, we, we sort of matched up. Um, I found out, well, once I was married, he was highly abusive. I think he had maybe undiagnosed bipolar too, but he was incredibly abusive. And when I was thinking of leaving him six months into the marriage, I found I was pregnant, mm. my daughter. So I stayed, of course, as women do. Um, and so, but year on, um, I think it was my daughter was eight weeks old. I have to say when I was pregnant, he didn't actually physically attack me. It's only the physical abuse started resumed again after I um, my daughter was born, and um, and that's I think that was my one the last in the last incident it was just too much, and I did I don't I don't remember thinking I just picked up the phone as soon as he stopped I picked up the phone, don't know where the courage came and I called the police and that was the end of the marriage, wow. um so um, with that marriage I had been the breadwinner he did not want to work so I had become the, the sole breadwinner and I thought maybe that was a reason you only know, go and analyze yourself but maybe that's the reason why. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this marriage didn't work. He was he because I'm five, uh, I'm five six, and he's he was six foot something, um, and I was really really petite as well, and he was like huge. Um, but he used to try to intimidate me with his posture, with his structure, and with his voice and mannerism. So he did he wanted to control me, even, even so that even though I'm I'm making money, I don't he didn't want me to sit on his head or something like that. He didn't yeah. want me to fall in. So anyway. Um, that marriage ended and I out of the frying pan into the fire I had another marriage as soon my divorce happened in oh my god July 2008 uh, by September I was introduced to somebody else and by November beginning second of November 2008 I was married off to another person mm. out of the frying pan into the fire and I go, of course in all this time I'm still not using my brain right I have to have drama right <laughs> that's all I can put it down to I mean no I'm, I'm saying it with tongue-in-cheek there was a lot of trauma involved and uh, I was very vulnerable so I now when I go back I have to give myself compassion um this girl would never marry either of those yeah, people yeah. that girl was vulnerable and susceptible to whatever's going on around her so anyway so I, I married the second person he was he was at that time working at, he was opposite to my my ex the first one so this one the first one was six foot something this was five foot eight like just like mm. a couple of than me the first one's highly educated this was wasn't educated this that was from from uk this was pakistan born you know or shipped over from there so i <laughs> went for the extreme opposite yeah. anyway he was at that time working for burger king right and um and uh but it was fine i didn't care uh, i thought i could make the money i was making the money first time around but he set up a business and he wanted to his condition was slowly 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 that he went as he built his business up he didn't want me to work mm. and I had already experienced a time when I was the main breadwinner when you know when my husband became abusive to me I thought okay fair enough you want me to stay home I'll stay home and so this became even more abusive marriage because slowly as his business built up he became more and more and more and more abusive then I suffered mental emotional verbal financial abuse because I was totally financially dependent upon yeah. him and that's when I developed toxic money. I'm sharing all of this because all of my experiences allowed me to now help other people because I can spot toxic money. I mean, that's a concept that I came up with. I, I can spot when someone's having issues with savings or why they're having issues with savings. I can I can spot when someone is going into debt and why they're going into debt. I've been through all of it myself, and this is why I'm able to help people now. So 
I went from someone who became a self-made millionaire at 27 to not being able to make a dime. I just couldn't. That's toxic money playing, by the way. When toxic money plays havoc in your life, you nothing, you everything you touch turns to dust. And that's what happened to me. Multiple things, including going back to work and no one hired me. It got to that point. Um, but this, the more abusive he became, um, the more... Um, more reclusive I became mm. um more I shrunk myself and I doubted myself and I, I you know I'm now in my mid uh, you know coming up to mid 40s I'm 44 and I feel happy and vibrant and young and you know beautiful at the age of 34 I felt ugly and fat and worthless and all of those things so 10 years ago is just a complete different goal to who it was in front of you right now anyway long story short um he became um really abusive now again the universe works in, in miraculous ways because in this time i this is the time when was, i was highly i was going through a lot of abuse but this is all the time when i did a lot of personal development into different l so i did nlp and reiki first this is when i dived into eft and then energy medicine and intuitive life coaching i did all of those keep in mind i had never any intention of becoming a coach or right. teaching anything about this this was to deal with my own insecurities i thought there's something wrong with me mm. and i want to add something um you may i don't know if this is in your culture or not but in my culture there's such thing as black magic because it's prominently known i don't know how how true it is 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 another story but it's well known yeah this my second husband had convinced me and he's a master he's a he's a textbook narcissist by the way so he's a master manipulator yeah he had used his sister and a few other people to convince me there was something wrong with me that someone had done black magic on me mm. which made him impotent keep that in mind ah. so so it was on me so that to to so that the black magic was on me so that my husband uh, would become impotent and it would fail my marriage apparently yeah. Now, as stupid as that sounds, the, the funny part is I actually believed it. Of course. Because yeah. it wasn't like through once. And I, I remember thinking, why did I believe it? Because obviously he, he, he wasn't able to do anything when we were together. But more to the point, he had not one, but three separate people, plus his sister, convinced me. She's got me, you know, his sister went to this person, so that person, and all three confirmed the same thing, that black magic was done in me. And that's why poor Ifan was going through this impotency. Yeah. That's the sad fact. And I, I share this, um, such a vulnerable part of myself with people, because I want people to understand, if you, if a woman like me, who is qualified lawyer in three jurisdictions, by the way. I'm a, I'm a fully qualified solicitor in, with the England and Wales Law Society. I am a barrister of Middle Temple here in the UK. I'm also a member of the New York Bar Association. I'm a New York attorney. And I'm educated to, um, you know, I was the top of my class at Primary. I was top of my class when I did my bar vacation course. I've always been a top student. So I'm a highly intelligent woman. Yet I fell for the for this manipulation. I fell for the stupidity. If I can be manipulated, it's yeah. okay if you are too. Give be easy on yourself. Mm. It's 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 not the end of the world. Yeah. We we go back and we're very harsh on ourselves. Give yourself a break. You did the best you could in those circumstances. And this is why I share this for people. If I can be manipulated, dude, come on, <laughs> right? So um, long story short, um, and I would have believed it. Like he would say to me, you know, he used to stay away from home. And he would say to me that I never look at a woman. How can I possibly look at a woman? He goes, you know, this, I can't do anything. So why would I even look at a woman? If I, if I, 
if I have, so at times I was the most beautiful woman, at times I was the most ugliest one. So if I have such a beautiful wife like you, why would I ever look at someone? If, and if mm. I can't do anything with you, why would I do anything with anybody else? Mm. And I believed it. I later on find out. So fast forward to 2016, I found that he's having an affair. And again, again, I, I want to stress okay, the, the manipulation and how much some a narcissist can control you. Um, I believed that when I when I caught him when I red-handed, not red-handed, I didn't catch him red-handed. The universe said, okay, look, girl, this is happening. And it showed me in text-wise. And it, I haven't got time to explain the story, but that's an interesting story, how I found out as well. But the universe has been helping me all the way throughout. Look, look at this, look at this, look at this. I found out through his messages that he's been sex chatting to somebody else. And when I had a conversation with him on, a, you know, that you're doing this, and we, we separated her work on our marriage. But at that time, he was only sex chatting because, of course, he couldn't do anything. And guess what? I believe that, too. That of course, it must be just chatting because he can't do anything. Mm. Anyway, the universe thought, girl's not going to learn. Seriously, she's not going to learn. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do something drastic. So come June, <laughs> this happened in March, end of March, 2016. Uh, and, you know, we separated. And then I was, now listen to this. I was begging for him to move back home and let's work on our marriage. Mm. Okay. And he refused to. He goes, no, I need more time. I need more time. I need to work on my business first. I, I need more time. I need more time. On the 31st of August, 2016, the universe said, okay, it's your time. So I woke up with the thought, I need to go where he's staying. By, by sheer luck, he'd given me the, his address because I never check up on him. I've never visited him. I don't do things like that. I don't, I trust, it's called blind trust stupidly, but I didn't blind trust him. I, I, but I knew his address or he'd give me an address for some reason. So I knew where he stayed. I was told to go where he is. I went where he was. And well, no, I woke up thinking, nah, it's an hour or something away. Honestly, it's nine o'clock and it's telling me, and I was told, be there for 10.30. And I was thinking, really? You know when you argue with your intuition? Yeah, yeah. And my intuition, my, the voice inside my head was like, so sharp, go now. I don't know what happened. I jumped out of bed, put on yesterday's clothes, didn't brush my teeth, didn't wash my face, grabbed my children, which is five and nine, by the way, bunged milkshakes in their hands and were in the car off. We went off and guess what? I, I turned outside the door. I found, obviously I knew where his, the car was outside, knocked on the door, no answer. So I knew he was inside, knocked on the door, no answer. Then I started the Bollywood movie. That, that, that's a Bollywood movie. I broke down, <laughs> I'm sorry, breaking down the door. <laughs> we have glass on the door. So I broke one down and he realized she's not stopping. Yeah. And he came down and by then obviously I knew, I pushed him aside, ran up and uh, caught his girlfriend half naked rushing off to the bathroom yeah. so that's what I call him red-handed and now I laugh at that story and because the, the song that comes to my mind every time I think of the story remember remember um Shaggy's song it wasn't me yeah right? <laughs> that song comes to mind anyhow um that was the end of that marriage now by then I had been out of work for must have been good six seven mm. seven years um he pulled the financial card because at that time when I caught him that, like that, he said to me, oh, girl, but I don't want to leave you either. I don't want to leave you either. I'm like, dude, don't worry. I'm leaving you. It's okay. I'm leaving you. Mm. But he expected me to accept her. In, in, in Islam, men are allowed to have multiple wives. Right. But it's up to the wife to accept the first wife or the second wife or not. If she doesn't want to, I can't stop my husband from marrying again, but I can tell him, okay, you want to have? Good luck to you. I'm leaving. I have yeah. full right to leave as well. It's, it's my autonomy, right? So I left him 
but he played the financial card exactly what my dad did to my mother. So this is important too. I replicated my mother's exact life. Mm. At that time. I then had two children similar to my mother, who had my, my, my brother and I. My father played the financial card. Irfan played the financial card. My father wanted to keep my mum and his second wife. Irfan wanted to keep me and plus his bit on the side or whatever it was. Um, my uh, my mother had a, a five-year-old and a six-year-old. I had a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. And my mother was in her, in her late 30s. I was in my late 30s. Mm. And this, is, this is the really shocking part. The girl my father married was 16 years younger than my mother. And the girl Irfan cheated on me was 16 years younger than mm. me. I replicated my mother's exact life. Anyway, I, this became, now I share this now, but this awareness wasn't there at that time. That came yeah. late. So because of that, I, I went through a divorce and I divorced him. And he he, he was true to his word. He didn't give me any money. And I couldn't prove that he had money. He was very shoddy and very big things and whatever else. Now, when I, the how I ended up being a money person was in that time when I was going through the abuse and I was going through all these sort of different modalities, the one thing I realized I was very good at was helping people with their money. And I thought, well, okay, if I can help people with their money, what if I can do it um, for myself? And I, what if I can do it professionally? That's when the question came to my mind. Keep in mind, um, I want to help people with their money. At that time, I'm destitute. I have nothing and I'm close to bankruptcy. From where I stood, I had no option because I could either go back to work, which was law, which was in my case, banking and finance law, so corporate law, um, where I would be starting from scratch because I'd been out of that kind of law for about, what, a good eight, nine years? Yeah. That's a lifetime in, you know, uh, in, in corporate world. I would start from scratch. I would start from the bottom and my kids would have a nanny. Or, you know, so like I said, they would, they, they don't need daycare, but they do need nanny after yeah, school yeah. care. Um, and they already weren't seeing the dad. They weren't going to see the mother either. Or I built a business up. Keep in mind, the reason why this is even more powerful is up until that moment, nothing, everything I touched turned to dust. I could not make anything work. So toxic money was at play. So I set this business up and I obviously didn't work. And this is the beginning of 2017. So the most of 2017, I spent on myself working on my money blocks. And that's where toxic money and, you know, the reason why we get into debt and savings all came apparent to me. It wasn't a small journey. It was a long journey. And my first client came to me at the end of 2017. That's mm. when I first breakthrough. And from then on, I've never looked back. But once I had that breakthrough, it was amazing. And now the breakthrough came not from my awareness, but my, 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 one of my aunt's awareness, my aunt looked at my life. And she said, your mother was turning a grave. I'm like, yeah, she'd be very upset for me. She goes, no, you don't understand. The exact same thing has happened to you. What happened to her? That is when the penny dropped. Oh my God. So long story to your, uh, your, your question. As I said, trying to be as simple as possible, but it's, I, I, I try to highlight how whatever happens in your life, is leading down a path where you're meant to be. You're, you know, it's leading down to your true purpose. Yeah. And now I really believe I'm meant to be doing what I'm in, I am doing. Yes, I have other businesses and I do believe in multiple streams of income. So I have a property business and I'm looking to buy law firms and I'm doing lots of other things. But my true purpose comes from teaching other people what it truly really means to have a healthy relationship with money. And that's why I became a money mindset expert. Yeah, you said a few things that I wanted to go back to. One that you've said a few times is toxic money. Can you tell us what does that mean in your perspective? That's a great question, I, uh, by the way. 
toxic money is is where money becomes toxic for you uh, it's where your relationship with money is so bad that you need it to survive yet you loathe and hate money and mm. there's a reason for that the source where you get your money from you need it to survive it could be uh from uh, usually it's from alimony or um you know maybe there's some kind of legal case that you've had you know there's a, a legal case around it but it can actually be from a job that you really begin to hate and loathe mm. or you're in a marriage um, and you're in a highly abusive marriage, as in my case. Okay, so the no, the common cases that are usually alimony and um, you know you know uh, legal disputes, but I have seen jobs as well, and especially in, in, if you have an abusive partner, you don't need sometimes you need to have someone to be abusive, but if you really feel low and disgusted with yourself, like I need this money to survive, and I'm dependent on my partner for it, you make the money toxic for yourself, mm. and. The problem is when when money is money fully becomes toxic because there could be elements of toxic money, but when not necessarily be fully toxic. When money becomes fully toxic, it's when you need are you going to survival mode? You need the money from that particular source to survive, not to live a nice life, but to yeah. pay for your food, your shelter, everything else, the basic needs that you have. Yet you are unable to create that income from any other source. So the more you need it the more you loathe it and then the more you get stuck when using it from there and the, and the more you try to pull away it's like a, it's like sinking sand mm. the more you try to pull away by creating other streams like going getting another job or something else the less you're able to and the and the less you're able to the more you latch on to this source and the lot more you hate it it's, it's a vicious cycle yeah. and it becomes really severe and i if it's in your life you know, you'll know because you you hate the source where you get your money from, but you need it to survive. And because of that, you hate money. And I remember because Irfan was so abusive, every time I would need money at the end of the month, he would give it to me, but he'd give it in such a way with, with such humiliation attached to it that I would be crying. I would literally mm. be crying. And it, it would be the 31st of the month and I wouldn't have money to pay the bills. Some of them would be down and I'd be crying and I'll be not angry at fun because he can't do anything wrong I'll be annoyed with myself for not having money and then be annoyed with money so for someone that's in that experience and is resonating with what you just said about toxic money is there a first step or thing that they could do to start to shift that absolutely so I'm a big um big believer of forgiveness and not necessarily forgiving other people but forgiving yourself so the first step is to recognize where your source of money is coming from and what uh, why you're upset with it. So in my case, so using this example, a partner that's highly abusive. So I need the money from my partner to pay for food and you know bills for my for my myself and my children, but my partner is very abusive. I need to recognize that first. Okay, so what do I need to do? I need to shift my income. I need to have an alternative source of income. Okay, fine. Now taking that income from a partner how does it make me feel about myself it makes me feel really shitty it makes me feel really awful it makes me feel like you know a low self-esteem and i'm worthless etc okay so the first step would be to give yourself some compassion you're in um in a situation where you need to pull out from but the more you resist it the more you're going to be stuck in it so the first step is to give yourself that that space to be compassionate now the second thing i would do is I'm, I'm a, I use for everything I use energy tools. Um, if, if they if they go on to um uh, my podcast, I talk about cord cutting quite a lot. 
the first thing they need to do is cut, sorry, the next thing they need to do is cut cords with their partner. Mm. So when they cut cords with the partner, it, it releases the negative energy between you two. And that pulls away. So you're able to pull away a little bit more. What we, what a lot of these people will find is if they, if they have toxic money, then most likely someone draining their energy. And most likely they have an energy vampire um, in, around them. If it's coming from a, a job or resulting from a family dispute, there's someone who's, who's energy vampire for them. If it's in an abusive relationship like that, 100%, the, the abuser is usually taking the energy there from, from the, you know, the person they're abusing because that's how they survive and that's why they abuse the, the person. You need to cut cords pulling some of your energy back and then you need to give yourself some compassion that okay I am in a situation how do I get out forgive yourself for getting that situation forgive yourself for allowing things to get this far give yourself that compassion that forgiveness that moment of breath you know that, that allowing yourself to have that breathing space like okay I'm okay yeah. I did the best I can all right I need to change I want to change but for the time being I'm going to tell myself I'm okay and I forgive you and I love you and everything's going to be fine. We're going to find a solution. And I remember doing this myself. I remember when I found out about his, uh, his uh, sex chatting episode, uh, that was in, in March and we were on a vacation to, um, for my daughter's birthday to Disneyland Paris. And it was second day of her birthday and he was screaming as always. And my daughter just sat there crying because he just, when he went off, he went off and he was just highly, highly abusive, right? Screaming and shouting. He didn't physically attack me, but he was verbally very, very abusive to me and my daughter, by the way. This is a nine-year-old child. So I remember her just crying and crying and crying and crying. And I remember just holding her face and saying, Peter, I don't know how I'm going to stop this, but mommy's going to stop this. Mommy will stop this. Mommy will find a way to stop this. I promise you this. And I, I remember he just kept yapping on and I just kept very calm and I calmed it out and she stopped crying. She just looked at my looked at me and she knew how serious my mom was. I'm gonna find a way to stop this. Lo and behold, a couple of days later, I was able to, you know, find out I found out about his sex chatting because he had, he'd got worse. I think the more involved he was, the more maybe he had guilt, or if he if possible at all, the more he screamed and shouted at me and the kids. So um, and I did that. I I took that moment, okay, this is where I am. I'm going to find a way out. Yeah. And I made that decision there and then talking to my daughter, universe gave me a way out, which was that um, ep ep sex chatting episode. Of course, I didn't completely avail it. I went back to him. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. But that's, <laughs> that's a different story. But I did get a way out. And that was my first step. And but from that moment onwards, I have to say, I was looking for alternatives, but not fully. I thought if I if he if it's not him I can go my savings I could go on which in my case would be gold like you know Asians buy a lot of gold so I could use my gold I could use my car I could use no not once it occurred to me that I could make money because by then I not was, wasn't making any money mm -hmm. I could use the gold to do this I can sell the car to do this and I'm okay for a year and I was yeah but from 2016 to 2017 I was okay because I used up all my you know so-called savings through gold it's only when afterwards and I had no option but to make money it's when I had to really deep dive and okay, then clear all the rubbish away. What do you think the shift was, and you may have just said what it was, between putting things out there and then, as you said, turning into dust and actually getting your first client? Oh, wow. Um, the intention, well, my coaching business through, um, you know, was established when the decision was made in beginning of 2017. 
when I actively were looking for clients, I came up zero, nothing mm. happened. Mm. And I remember trying to figure things out. Now, this this awareness that came to me, July, August time. And then I had I signed my first client up in October. I, think I would say February, when I really started my business, to July, August, I was working, unraveling, 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 unraveling. And I, by then, I'd, be, I'd become aware of, you know, why all my saving had gone, why I was in so much debt, why had I attracted this? I had done all of this work. I had still hadn't, the missing piece was still not there. Like, why? The earliest money paradigm. I'd worked on my, on, on my paradigm, like, oh, because my mom thought money was bad, and this was this, and that's this. I still hadn't put the pieces together that I had this energetic imprint from my mother, which I was destined to fulfill, which, by the way, can you imagine? My mother was... Um, was an educated woman from Pakistan but she she was an immigrant when she came here she didn't know the language she believed she was stupid because my father made her feel that as well um she had two young children and she worked in um my you know in in a low income low low, low labor jobs to survive you know to, to bring up her two kids so that's why we lived in, in such a poor environment I was the opposite to her I was had grown up in the UK extremely confident woman self-made millionaire by the age of 27 yet I ended up in a place where I was living in one of the poorest sections Dagenham is one of the poorest boroughs of London in two-bedroom house with two young children living the exact same life trying to live a welfare and I couldn't give them welfare because I, you know I had property which I couldn't touch by the way because of a divorce but according to the government I had the property and so they wouldn't even give me welfare I was trying to get welfare can you imagine how much manifesting powers I must have used to, to create an environment like that. Yeah. So in order for me to do that, I must be really powerful. So that is the key. That's when, the, when I realized, if I can use this to create this environment, what else can I create? And I have, with a short space of time, my life turned around and I, I became a six-figure earner within, I think, uh, within a year after that. So you've mentioned a few times around debt, and that's something that comes up a lot when I'm talking to clients, when I'm talking to friends, just around, is debt a tool? Is debt bad? Why do we get into debt? You know, a lot of people use the argument, well, all rich people have debt. I'd love to hear your perspective on all of those things. Okay, that's a great question again. Debt on its own, it's there's nothing wrong with it, okay? It's your interpretation and your energy around it. So I always talk about two elements of debt. There's bad debt and there's good debt. Good debt is what you use to leverage. It's, it's, a, it's a leveraging tool, to be honest. There's nothing wrong with, with debt. And the only way to become wealthy is to use other people's money, which is debt, right? That's all, all businesses, all businesses use it. Uh, unfortunately, the poor money mindset people treat debt uh, badly because they use money debt and they use they have more bad debt than and less of good debt. What's bad debt? Bad debt is using credit cards to pay for your lifestyle, to pay for your shoes, for your pay for your cinema tickets, to pay for your holidays. Good debt is actually taking money, which uh, if so, if I'm paying 10% interest here, I'm going to leverage it and uh, make ROI of 30% here. So I'm making 20%. So that's not bad right or i'm buying um mortgaging so I'm, I'm i'm going to go and buy this investment property the i'm going to put tenants in there and my tenants are going to pay for my uh the the, the repayments on the mortgage and I, I i i benefit from passive income from rental income and capital gains the problem happens is poor money mindset people have a lot of debt and more than poor it's usually the break even who do okay but when people with um with bad relationship with money use money in or debt in a bad way they're using it to fund their lifestyle then they get anxiety around it they get fear around it and a lot of the times 
people would have high debt, but would have would have debt which causes them to feel, you know, sad, upset, humiliated, ashamed. These are the common, um, most common feelings. Now, shame and um, embarrassment. If you have that around your debt, then you know there's something more deeper. And I, debt, I always say, debt doesn't come just out of the blue. It's usually because of something that happened to you uh, early on. Now, if you've ever been abused. And this abuse can take any form, by the way. You can be physically abused, verbally abused, emotionally abused. Listen to this, financially or sexually abused. Any one of those abuses, the more severe it is, the more you are humiliated. The energy of humiliation and shame is really important here. The, the more you will accumulate bad debt, the worse you will feel and that you will spiral downwards. And people who have bad debt, they can clear it. You know, the, the new strategies of like, oh, let's consolidate all the debt and put it all together. What do they find? They consolidate the debt five years down the line. They have that debt and the credit cards are maxed out again. Why? Because you haven't dealt with the root cause of why you have bad debt. If you dealt with that, you probably don't even need to consolidate because you'll find out, you figure out ways to increase your income or, 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 or budget in a better way to be able to pay off your debt without consolidating it. Or sometimes it's, it's worth, worthwhile, especially if you get the good interest rate, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, you will not get out of bad debt until you understand the emotions behind it. Once you do, then you will stop seeing bad, uh, debt as, as, a, as negatively or as something that's to be ashamed of. I mean, uh, I know Grant Cardone, he talks about debt all the time. And he's like, I mean, so much debt, but he became a billionaire mm. by getting debt, right? There's nothing wrong with debt, but you have to see what debt are we referring to, good debt, bad debt. Most people have negative energy with the bad debt because they hold on to it. And the energy of humiliation and shame is very similar to the energy of debt. Hmm, interesting. That kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier around the patterns that we create in our life and how that shows up in different areas of our lives. At what point do you feel like you're obviously a lot more self-aware now than it seems like maybe when you started this journey and you've done a lot of work and you're able to kind of give yourself grace in places where I'm sure in the moment it didn't feel very warm and fuzzy and compassionate. When we're in that dark place, I think it's hard to often see like, it's great for Goal to say that now she's doing all these things. She's figured out her purpose. She's figured out her business. She's figured out her way out of this abusive marriage. But when we're in that place of, I hate myself, like how do we shift? Because I think it's very hard to go from, I'm unhappy, I hate myself, I don't know what I wanna do to, yes, this is possible for me in one day, right? So is there a small shift that we can make to start down that path? That's a great question. Again, I think it's, it's very similar to what you said, what I said before. Before you can make any shift, you need to have compassion for yourself. Mm. You need to forgive yourself. Mm. Until you forgive yourself for your, wherever you are, whatever mess or you know, whatever trouble you think you've done, whatever stupid decisions you think you've made. And by the way, there's no stupid decisions. You're meant to be here right now. Okay. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how clever you are. If this was meant to be, if you're meant to be here, you're meant to be here. Have an understanding and awareness. Okay. I am where I am. 
my decisions take personal responsibility by the way there's no blame shame or anything i can't blame my father for arranging marriage with um with shahan to get me to where i am that's just not that's just not right okay um i can't blame my circumstances or even my first husband shahan for me getting and marrying my next one there is no blaming i chose to do this i made that decision i went ahead with it so first of all, take personal responsibility for everything showing up in your mm. life. Second step, forgive yourself for making those choices. Mm -hmm. Third step, step back and have compassion. Okay, feel through those emotions. A lot of the times when we're upset with ourselves, we're told by these gurus, just think positively. Don't think about yeah. the next thing. You know, say, I love money. Money loves me. Oh, come on, dude. Right? No. Not right? <laughs> it's not. It's not. And it's not something, you, you know, you, every time you say, I love money, Honestly, 99% of the time, 99% of you say, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't, right? So you want to have um, that compassion for yourself that, okay, I am here I am. What do I want to do from here? Mm. The first is always going to be, you know, become aware. Step two is forgive yourself. So become aware that your decisions have led you this part. And can you see how empowering that is? instead of blaming your uncle your father your husband your wife your child or your grandmother for where you are you take personal responsibility i through my choices am here today right now which means i through my choices can be somewhere else tomorrow okay? that. it's your responsibility it's your choice but yes we want to have the responsibility but also have the compassion for yourself I made those decisions under those circumstances, under that kind of mindset, under that kind of environment. Would I be upset with my daughter? Or would I be upset with my brother? Or would I be upset with my sister if they had certain, you know, uh, some difficult decisions they made? Would I call them, you're so stupid? No, I would have compassion for them. Why don't we have compassion for ourselves? Mm -hmm. First step, have compassion for yourself. Once you have compassion for yourself, you will lower your cortisol levels you will calm down and then what you find is your intuition will open up your energy will be more receptive to okay so we are here we want to go there what's the first step and those first steps will open up it doesn't mean it has to be the, the right step it may be okay i contact jimmy and jimmy goes girl i'm sorry i don't really have anything for you i, I mean i would love to help you but i just don't have any work for you okay maybe you try um kieran Okay, call Kieran. I'm sorry, girl. I, I really don't have anything for you either. I have all the compassion for you and understand. I'm so sorry you're going through this. I'm not helping to help you. Maybe try Nergis. Hi, Nergis. Oh, actually, you know, I don't, but I know someone who definitely does. And uh, let me to, you know, connect to them. You speak to him and let's see if it works out. So let's speak to Michael now. Go and speak to Michael. Yeah, go. How about this? Let's do this. Come along. Um, you know, you can start part-time and we can start somewhere. That's just me giving an example if I wanted to look for work, right? The first step. Or business-wise, oh, you know what, go, um, I'm looking for someone who could be a sales rep for me in here. How about this? I've just given you a small example, taking the first step. It may not be the right one, take the first step. That first step will lead you in second, third, fourth. And it may be that the fifth step gets you to a step closer to where you want to go, but you will go. So take action wherever you are. Maybe that's making the short, in a nutshell, take action. But if you notice, self-awareness, forgiveness, compassion come first. And then seek, okay, what should be my next step? Ask, seek question, ask questions, seek the answers, and then take an inspired action. We're not about hustle, by the way. You don't want to be hustling. You don't want to be busy. Bee. You want to take inspired action. 
I love that you gave that example because I think oftentimes when we get some sort of download or intuition and then we go and take the action and it doesn't quote unquote work, we're like, oh no, that wasn't right. Let me just stay where I am and be safe. But it's true. The first step may not be the one that gets you immediately to the second one, but you have to keep going. So that was an absolutely perfect example. And I love your story for many reasons, mainly because I find oftentimes we hear the story up until when you said I was 27 and made my first million and then that's the end, right? But there's not a lot of stories of I had this peak, this high, I did this thing and then things change and I had to rebuild something, especially as you said, you were in your mid to late thirties. I think there's a lot of women who feel like, oh, it's, it's too late for me. I, you know, I've already, I've made too many mistakes or I've been in this spot too long. And you are literal proof of, you know, not just from your first marriage, but also your second marriage of you can decide to change your, the end of your story at any given moment. And like, kudos to goal five, 10 years ago, who decided to do all of that because that especially with children also that adds an, an added layer, right? Because you can't just navigate for you. You've now got to think about these two human beings that are innocent and helpless and relying on you. So such an, that's really, really incredible. And I think a lot of inspiration for people who are used to hearing the, oh, I did all these things and I learned all these things and it was hard and I succeeded. But they're not used to hearing. And then everything fell apart. And now what? Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm glad, and this is why I'm glad you, 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 your, my story resonated with you this is why I'm so open and vulnerable when it comes to my story and I share so openly because I'm not embarrassed about any part of it I do talk about this quite a lot embrace thy ugly what was the worst thing for me because I remember my ex if I say to me you've been married once you know you get divorced for me get divorced my people are going to not and he, yeah. she said this to me, the sad thing he said to me uh, he said to me even after everything, because by the way, when I found out about this, I it, it opened up a whole Pandora's box about what he's, he was living a second life yeah. where he casinos and prostitutes and alcohol and everything else was just all part of his life. Yeah. And he actually said to me, because even though after everything I've done, nobody's going to say I'm bad. They're always going to blame you. Mm. They're going to say you are divorced twice. They're going to blame and say to your children, your mother has been divorced twice. Yeah. And, you know, and so no one's going to say anything to me because I'm a man. Yeah. And I remember thinking the reason why that hit me so hard was because there's an element of truth to it, mm. especially in the South Asian culture, but not that, just in the Western culture, or you've been divorced, there must be something wrong with you. You can't yeah. keep a map kind of a thing, right? Whereas very few people would think there's a story behind not one, but two unsuccessful marriages. And it could be that woman was, you know, whatever reason. Um, so this is why it's, it's important to let people know, don't let other people judge you or let other people's judgment about you stop you from you know embracing your your power embracing your story my ugliest thing about me what is my two divorces my two um divorces and by the way i have family members saying oh you know have the negative connotation about one divorce let alone two right mm. and i openly talk about it i openly embrace this and i always say embrace thy ugly both my marriages it doesn't matter how abusive they were, made me, made me very, very strong. And this goal that you see here was not the goal in, the, in those marriages. But this goal would not be here had she, that goal not gone through those yeah. uh, traumas. So I love that goal. And I'm very proud of her that she came out and she became this goal. 
who I love. I love it. Where can we connect with you more? Where can we find out more about your work, your podcast? So my podcast um, is, we have an episode with you too. You know, I had you on my podcast not too long ago. So if you want to hear more from me and more of my chitter chatter, um, please do come. And we do have amazing guests as well. Please come and uh, see us on Money Mindset with Gold Khan. We're on iTunes, Spotify, everywhere. And if you really want to uh, connect with me, then um, I think the best place would be either Facebook, which I have my business page there, the Gulkan, or um, you know my IG. But if you actually want to attend one of my workshops, we do those intermittently throughout the year, multiple times a year. Then um, I'll send you. The, I think you can share the link, but I'll share the link here right now is it's www.moneymindsetmakeoverworkshop.com and come along there. And we in this workshop, I share all my tools, including the cord cutting that I mentioned earlier and talking about money avatars and a few whole people of the stuff that we're not able to talk about here because we didn't have enough time but come along and join me in one of those workshops and we'll have a great blast i hope this episode gives you more clarity and proof that you can create a life you truly love be sure to subscribe rate and review so we can continue to connect and serve those who are ready to use their ideas and experiences to positively impact the lives of others if you want to connect more follow me on Instagram at The Bravo Life.